Amen, amen. Well, good morning again. Great to have you here at First Baptist. And um, boy, what a truth that he shall reign forevermore. And we'll talk about that in just a bit. I, I just wanted to reiterate what Pastor Derek shared as well. Um, you know, I, I have carried these with me throughout uh, the town as I've traveled. And um, I, I gave one to the person who cut my hair this last uh, Tuesday or Monday, whatever day it was. And I said, hey, please come. I've invited her before. She said she was going to. And you know what she said this time? She said, I need to. I need to come. And she said, and my husband and I need to come. I said, well, come and find me afterwards. I'll be looking for you. It, it is amazing that people are, are very in tune with if they are in a relationship with God or out of relationship with God, and, and they're aware more of this Christmas and Easter times. And so just pray who God might put on your heart. Carry some of these with you this next week. And most of all, though, you come and, and um, be in a place where you can worship the Lord and just um, experience the fullness of what Christmas is all about. So we, we hope that you'll come and be a part of that. Well, you can see from the outline, if you want to take that out, and if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 1, that we are in a new series called Noel. Noel is a, a French word that has that connotation associated with Christmas, but it really means day of birth. There, there's a second definition that talks about good news, but the, but the more formidable definition is day of birth, which is obviously what we celebrate, the birth of Jesus, that he was born into this world to save us, to save us from our sins, and to put us into a relationship with God, Jesus, who is God saves. That's what his name actually means. And so there is um, no one that has ever been born that Jesus did not need to save because we are all born into sin. We live in sin. We sin every day. But Jesus came to save us from the consequences of those sins. He came to save us from even ourselves and some of the things we do in our sinful nature. I've been uh, reading this book by Max Lucado called Because of Bethlehem. Max Lucado is a pastor in the uh, Texas area, and he writes kind of a humorous chapter, um, uh, beginning chapter, on a situation that he came up against when he was uh, traveling around during the holidays. And I thought, you know what, I'll just share that with our congregation to see what goes through some of us as pastors, um, our, our minds in certain situations, um, and to see kind of how our sin nature crops up as well. Here's what he writes. He says, uh, I tried to blame my behavior on the holiday traffic. We're right there, aren't we? Some of, you, some of you got some interesting holiday traffic behavior. He said, the Thanksgiving weekend had turned the streets near the shopping mall <clears throat> into controlled chaos. He said, <clears throat> I tried to blame my misdeeds on my state of mind. I was driving to my in-law's house, having spent most of the day helping to plan a funeral my wife's ever-weakening mother. I tried to blame uh, my poor reaction on the careless U-turn made by the teenager. I ne he nearly clipped my bumper. He said, the traffic arrow invited me to take a right turn into a busy avenue, and as I did, the teenager made a sudden, unexpected hairpin turn around the median. We nearly shared paint. I honked at him. I'll confess, my honk wasn't a polite, uh, excuse me, it, it was a long and demanding, do you know what you almost did, kind of honk. 
He drove a low-riding, wide-wheeled, two-tone, exhaust-puffing jalopy that dated back to the 80s. It needed a muffler. It also needed a more mature passenger in the passenger seat. Because as the car accelerated, a long arm came out of the passenger side window and gave me a backhanded, one-fingered wave. So I sped up. Thanks to traffic lights, I was soon side by side, side by side with the perpetrator. He still had his window down, so I lowered mine. He looked up at me. He wore a baseball cap shoved over a mop of black hair, and the brim of the cap faced sideways. So did the smirk on his face. You need to watch that wave, son, I said. Now, in an ideal world, He would have apologized, and I would have wished him a Merry Christmas. But I wouldn't be telling you this story if that happened, because this is not an ideal world. And when I told him to watch that wave, he smirked even more and demanded, Make me. Make me? When was the last time I heard someone say, Make me? Junior high, middle school, high school locker room, make me? But that's what teens say. And of course, he was a teen. He didn't have a whisker on him. He was a skinny, floppy-haired, testosterone-laden adolescent who was feeling his oats riding shotgun in his buddy's muscle car. As for me, I'm a six-year-old pastor who writes Christian books and speaks at conferences and feels a call to make the world a better place. (laughs) I should have raised my window. But I didn't. I looked down at him, literally and metaphorically, and said with my own version of a smirk, Now what did you say? Make me, he repeated. The saints in heaven were saying, Drive away, Pastor Locato. Common sense was urging, drive away, Pastor Locato. The better angels of the universe were prompting, drive away, Pastor Locato. I didn't listen. The dare of the punk activated the punk inside of me. And the punk that I hadn't seen for decades. I snarled. Okay, where do you want to go? His eyes widened the size of hamburger patties. He couldn't believe I said that. I couldn't believe I said that. And when he realized how serious I was, he also became serious. Let's settle this at the shopping mall, he said. Are you kidding me, I told him. There are too many people there. Follow me. What, I said to myself. All of a sudden, I'm the expert on where to go to duke it out. The light turned green, and I accelerated. In my side-view mirror, I could see that the two boys were engaged in a heated exchange. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? He looks pretty cranky. Might he have a weapon or something? By the time I reached the next stoplight, they were nowhere to be seen. They must have turned into the parking lot. Boy, was I relieved. (laughs) I drove the rest of the way to my in-law's house, asking myself, 
did you really just dare a kid to fight? Are you crazy? I'd like to blame my behavior on the state of mind, the stress of the traffic, the driver who nearly hit my car, or the passenger who pushed my buttons. But I can blame no one for my bizarre behavior except for one thing, the punk inside of me. For a few minutes at a stoplight near a shopping mall, I forgot who I was. I forgot who that teenager was. In that heated moment, he wasn't someone's son. He wasn't a creation of God. He wasn't a miracle. He wasn't fearfully and wonderfully made. He was a disrespectful jerk. And I let him bring out the disrespectful jerk in me. The Bible has a name for that disrespectful jerk. The Bible has a name for the punkish tendency that we all have. It's called sin. I have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. Merry Christmas message right there. Okay? Over and done. Right? We all have a sin nature. I didn't have to learn. In fact, you didn't have to learn to be stubborn, did you? You didn't have to learn to be self-centered or self-pleasing or self-promoting or self-preserving. Sin is like that. Sin is selfish. And we're all born with that. I, I didn't have to learn to take a cookie from my little brother when he had it and I wanted it. You didn't have to learn to do other things. It just comes by nature. When your parents told you no, you wanted to do it all the more. That's the sin nature that we are born with and that we have. Because the truth of the matter is, and you can fill this in on your outline if you would, the truth of the matter is, here it is. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's, that's what it is. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. We deal with it daily. We deal with the consequences of it daily as well. The consequences of how sin affects our family relationships. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. We see it on our prayer cards. Thanksgiving holidays are coming up. Christmas holidays are coming up. Pastors, please pray. And we have. We've been praying for you. And I know that there are some families even at this holiday time who are saying we're just not going to get together with our family because it's so difficult. It's so hard. It's such a struggle. Sin causes that. Sin and the consequences affects our work relationships. You're not as good of an employee. You're not as good of a boss. You're not as good of an employer because of sin. Sin affects our consequences uh, or the consequences <clears throat> even with us personally in our own lives and some of the things we do and the consequences of that. But most of all, the consequences of how it affects our relationship with God because sin separates us from a relationship with God. It's why Jesus came to bring us back into relationship with God. When you go through this whole Christmas season, know that and know that well. The reason Jesus came was to put you back, to bring you back, to make a way so that you could have a relationship with God once again. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> We can see this in the story that Matthew writes. And um, he brings it out so well in the middle of the story that sometimes I think we take it for granted and we miss it. So Matthew chapter 18, let me start reading there and we'll go through about verse 21. 
Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now let me kind of set the stage here because I know this was about 2,000 years ago and we've lost some of what this means. Um, That betrothed word, it, it wasn't just... Um, engaged. It was more than that. In fact, there were three steps to a Jewish marriage. The first step was that the families would come together and agree that their children could be married, which, you know, as, as my daughter's now 16, I like these kind of arrangements more and more. I'm not sure if you're in that stage of mind. But, but that's where the first thing would come. Families come together and say, yes, my daughter could marry your son. They seem like they would go well together. Second, though, there was a step that was a public announcement. And the public announcement was made, that's when the couple was pledged. That's when they came together and they were engaged. And that engagement could only be broken off through death or through divorce. Now, no sexual involvement was done at this stage. But they were engaged and they could not be separated except for death or divorce. And then third step was that the couple would be married and they would begin living together and to know one another even sexually. Well, that stage had not happened. The stage was only the second stage that Joseph and Mary had entered into, and that's why he had questions. And that's why now with this child being born inside of Mary, he figured this was Mary's sin nature that had taken over and brought about this child, and now the consequences would have to be divorce. Verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now that phrase, do not fear, I think is so significant for us. In fact, it's significant in Scripture. Over 180, I think it's about 190 times that phrase is used. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Why? Because fear is such an issue. It was an issue back in the first century. It's an issue now in the 21st century. And yet the angel shows up, even as an angel had showed up to Mary as well. We see that in the Gospel of Luke. We don't catch it in Matthew's Gospel. But now this angel is coming to Joseph and saying, hey, do not fear. Fear fear is huge. In fact, I looked up some of the interesting fears around holiday time. Do you know that there is just a general blanket fear or phobia for the whole Christmas thing? It's called festivalis phobia. Now, it's one word, festivalisphobia, and it is defined as a phobia of the whole Christmas thing. Take a look at this picture. What do you think this little child has a fear of right here? You, you know what his fear is? Santa Claus. Yeah, it is. There is a fear of Santa Claus. In fact, there's a phobia. Um, that, okay. That's an interesting, because I think that one has gone from fear to anger right there, right? Right? And and then there's another one here that's kind of interesting. It's the, um, 
save me, right? That, that, that's a save me pose. But, but clausophobia is a true phobia that little kids can have. And I would too if I you know, sat on that big guy's lap and I didn't know who he was with the big beard and red thing. And, and so it, it, it can happen. We, we, we can have those kind of fears. In fact, in Matthew and Luke, fear not appears over and over and over and over and over again. You read through those Gospels and you'll see there were startling events that came about. And they, and they, they were told, the people who, who were approached by angels or by situations, do not fear. And oftentimes the words peace came behind it. Peace be with you. Peace. Hundreds of times in Scripture, verses on peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. In fact, let me share with you a, a, a phrase, and we just sang this, that will get you through some of your fears in this upcoming year. That phrase, the Lord reigns, and we've been singing, he shall reign forevermore. But that phrase, the Lord reigns, appears time and time and time and time again in the book of Psalms. If you read through the book of Psalms, you will see that every emotion is felt by the psalmist. And constantly he is reminding himself, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. In fact, you can write this down. Psalm 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. Okay, make it short. 93 to 99. Okay? Psalm 93 to 99. That phrase appears over and over and over and over again. I challenge you to read those psalms this week. If you are facing some sort of fears, Psalms 93 to 99, the Lord reigns, the Lord reigns. And it is so reassuring. It reminds us God is in control. Because when we face fear, there's two things you can do. You you, you can fear it or you can have faith in the midst of it. That's what can come about. That's what can stop it, is when you have faith in the midst of fear. What are you choosing, fear or faith? At the beginning of this year, we did a series on no God, no fear, no fear. And I talked about this old English proverb that said, um, fear knocked on the door, faith answered, and no one was there. When you answer those fears with faith, fear runs. And that phrase, the Lord reigns, will do that for you because it reminds you God is in control of this. In fact, would you just say that phrase with me? The Lord reigns. Say it. The Lord reigns. Say it again. The Lord reigns. I I hope, and we're going to sing this song one more time, and he shall reign forevermore. I hope you will be singing that throughout this Christmas season. Because that's exactly what that is saying. The Lord reigns when our fears creep up. And and here's the angel. He is coming to Joseph and he's saying, hey, hey, fear not. You do not have to fear with what's taking place here. Believe, have faith in what I'm saying. And what did he say? Again, second part of verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And what a gift. I mean, what a gift came about. Uh, our family was doing an a Advent-type devotional this, this week, and we, we went over the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Do you, do you remember some of the lyrics in that song? Great hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It goes on and it says, Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting lights, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Any hopes that you have 
are met in this little baby who is now born to us in these dark streets of life. Any fear that you have can be placed at that cradle. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Why? Watch this. Look what Matthew now says. This is the crux of the whole entire story, the whole message. Verse 21. She, that is Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name what, First Baptist? Jesus. Oh, now here it is. Watch this now. For he will save his people from their sins. There it is. There's what Matthew wanted us to know. Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. Now, when Joseph heard this name Jesus, I mean, even that name had to put him at peace and at ease because Joseph knew the Hebrew language, and the name was pronounced Yeshua. And Yeshua was a shortened form of the Hebrew word Yahweh saves. In other words, God saves. So when he hears his name, and you shall call him Jesus, immediately he knows that it's God saves. That's who this Yeshua will be. God saves. And and notice what he saves us from. Not from ourselves, not not, not from circumstances, not, not from challenges, not from politics. God saves. Now watch how this name fits together. God saves... Not God empathizes or not God listens. That's not what that name means. The name does not mean God helps or God assists or God comforts. What the name means is God saves. Saves us from what? Our sins. Not circumstances, not difficulties, not challenges, He saves us from our sins. That's what he came to do. That's his plan of redemption. That's the whole Old Testament filtering now into the New Testament. God finding a way for us to come back to him, his son Jesus being that answer. Sin separated us from God, and Jesus came to save us and put us back into a relationship with him. In fact, look at how it's written up in the book of Colossians. Keep your finger, if you'd like, in the book of Matthew, or stick your outline there real quickly, and jump over to the book of Colossians. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's in those little epistles, about halfway through the New Testament or so. Paul, Paul just explains it in a great way. It's on your outline, if you have that in front of you as well. It's on the PowerPoint, too. But if you have your scriptures, please look right in there. Here's what he says in verse 19 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, for in him, and he's talking about Jesus here. He says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What a great phrase. In Jesus, in that little baby that was born in that cradle, in that stable, all the fullness of God dwelt in him and was pleased to dwell in him. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making, now what's the next word? They're making what? Making peace by the blood of his cross. 
the cradle had to be the beginning because the cross was where it was headed. It started the fullness of God in that cradle, but it was headed towards the cross to save you and me from our sin. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. In fact, that you, I like the you. Turn turn to your neighbor real quick and say, hey, I think he's talking to you. Okay? All right? He's talking to you. Okay? Now, hold on a second. Okay, lean back over and say, okay, he's talking to me too. All right? Because he is. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He says, and you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's the only way we get to be back in a relationship with God. It's the only way we can even be in God's presence. I mean, go back and look at verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the love of God, all the strength of God, all the compassion of God, all the power of God, all the devotion of God were in the form of Jesus, this man who became from a baby up to a man to a carpenter for a time. It was all in him. It's no wonder the winds obeyed Jesus when he spoke because it was God speaking. It's no wonder that the bacteria fled when Jesus would touch a sore and heal a body because it was God who was touching. It's no wonder that when Jesus walked on the water, the water held him because it was God walking on the water. It's no wonder the people stood speechless when Jesus spoke because it was God speaking. And now it's no wonder that the angels, the shepherds, the wise men were in awe because this little baby was God. God is a baby. And it's no wonder all the angels stood in rapt attention as Jesus was later crucified because that was God dying. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. Fully God and yet fully man. And now what he promises is that the mystery goes on to say in Colossians 1.27 is that now Christ is in you. That God can come into your life and make you a better person. He can change you day by day. You won't ever be sinless, but I sure hope that we sin less and less and less because of God inside of us. That's his message to us, the gospel in a nutshell. Now God coming inside of us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Go back to Matthew. Let's finish this up. Matthew 21. Again, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God saves, and only God saves. Because the fact of the matter is, if we could save ourselves, why would we need a Savior? Think about that. If you could save yourself, why would God need to send a Savior? If you even had a part in saving yourself, 
why would he need to have gone to the cross? You can do nothing about it except say yes. I've shared this illustration before, but lifeguards, when they are trying to save someone who is drowning, are taught, don't go up to that person who is drowning if they are still fledgling and have strength because they will pull you down and pull you under the water as well. Wait till they give up on saving themselves because they cannot save themselves. You are there to help save them. That's the same thing with us. We can't save ourselves. And I have a feeling today there are some people who are drowning. And maybe you're trying to save yourself. But today you realize, I can't. And the reason we celebrate Christmas, and the reason we celebrate Easter, and the reason that even the calendar of time is changed by this date of birth, by this one person who came into this world, was because God was sending him in to reconcile us to him. And today's your day to know that. Today's your day to understand there's a day of birth that needs to come for you. A Noel. In Revelation 3.20, it's a very popular verse for many people who go to church. John um, has this picture of Jesus knocking on the door of our lives. In fact, would you read the verse with me? Read it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Um, As missionaries and Bible translators went to share the gospel message in the country of Papua New Guinea, uh, they experienced something kind of strange. They found out the people in their culture never knocked on doors, or very rarely. Oftentimes there would be a door frame with a door that was open, and someone would enter that door frame and yet not knock on it, but cough. Give kind of a polite type, type of cough when they came up to the door. And so when the Bible translators put this into the language there, they said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And the people of Papua New Guinea had no clue what that meant because people didn't knock on doors. And so the Bible translators got wise and they said, okay, then we need to translate this. I stand at the door and I cough. Yes, they did. I stand at the door and I cough. In other words, I'm trying to get your attention. I got to thinking this week, how would God have gotten, how does he get our attention in Stockton? How does he get it today in the 209? I stand at the door and I yell, maybe. Yo, yo, let's go, come on, I'm here. Whatever he does, he's getting your attention now. I stand at the door, I'm here, ready for you. And the reason I am here is to save you. This could be your Noel day. This could be your birthday, day of birth. I share the phrase often here, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. What that phrase means is that if you're born a physical death, you will die a physical death and a spiritual death. But if you're born again, if you're born twice, you will only die a physical death. You will not die a spiritual death. You are born again and you will live eternally. Today is a day of birth that some of you need to walk into. You've been born once. You need to be born twice. 
And I know there's hundreds of you who have done this before, but for those of you who are not, today I pray that you are feeling that knocking, you are feeling that coughing, you are feeling that yelling at your heart of saying, I'm ready to come in to save you from your sins. That's what Matthew knew. That's what he wrote. That's what he said. He said, he will be born to you. You will name him Jesus because he came to save you from your sins. And my prayer is today that you realize you cannot save yourself. Maybe you've been trying to, but you cannot save yourself. And so as we go to a time of prayer, I pray that you will join us. Even as in the first service, there were six or seven people who raised their hand for the very first time to say, I'm ready to receive Christ. I pray there will be many here today who have not yet done that. Now, if you have, great, we rejoice in that. But for those of you who have not, today may it be your day of birth. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in relationship with you and for what that means a reconciliation, a relationship that has been repaired, a relationship that has now started when we say yes to you by faith. Scripture says that if you believe in faith that Jesus is God's Son, if you confess with your mouth that He is the one who came to live, to die, to raise again to new life, and he did it for you to save you, then you'll be saved. It's what the writer of Romans says. And so that's what we need to come to a place of faith with, a faith in Jesus, that he is God's son, the Messiah, sent in the world, who will reign forevermore. But personally for us, we need to say yes. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if I could just ask, If you have made that decision to receive Christ, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have said yes to him, you have prayed to receive him into your life, and you know you will reign with him in heaven forevermore, would you mind just slipping up your hand if you've made that decision to receive Christ? Amen. All across this auditorium. Absolutely. Hundreds of people. Hundreds. Amen. Let me ask you a second question. Today I know there are people in here who have not made that decision. My question would be, What better day, what better time of season than right now? As you now understand why Jesus came to this world. He came to save you from your sins. You cannot do that on your own. You have to receive him to pray in faith that he would come into your life, take away the penalty of that sin. And you have to pledge to say, Jesus, I promise now to follow you. And if in your own way, in your own heart, it doesn't have to be those exact words, but in your own heart, if you can pray those words, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life today? And if you just prayed that right now for the very first time, would you just lift up your hand or make eye contact with me? Anyone just saying, Lord Jesus, today is the day. Today is my day of birth. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. God, I thank you for this congregation and for the many, many who said and have already said yes to you. I praise you that, Lord, it's a congregation that I pray is walking with you as well. That the reason that you came for us was to save us from our sins. And Lord, you've saved us from ourselves. You've saved us from those sins and what they do to us. And God, I, I pray that as we walk out of here with assurance of that, 
that we will live in that way. And Lord, I also know that there may be some here today who have not been ready yet. I pray as they uh, even sing this last worship song, I pray as they remember these verses that we have shared, I pray that as maybe they are a little unsettled about where life will go and where they would go after they die, that, Lord, that they would still continue to search, that they would still continue to come back, that they would still continue to open your word and understand how important it is because, Lord, you have reached out to us and you have said, I've come to save. I've come to save. God, we worship you for that. We worship you for being a little child born into this world. We worship you for growing into a man taking our punishment on the cross. We worship you for you will reign forevermore. We celebrate that. We praise you for that. And even now as we stand and we sing that line, Lord, that song that just emphasizes every hope and fear can be quelched, every hope and fear can be done away with because we know who reigns. You do so forever and forever and forever. We love you. We thank you. Thank you now that your presence is here. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.